Hi, I'm Zeph Fraze, Managing Director of Tesoro Gold. Tesoro is developing the exciting El Zorro Gold Project uh, in Chile, in the Atacama region of Chile. Zeph, good to see you again. Uh, you haven't been on Crux for three or four months, actually four or five months now. Um, you've had a busy start to the year. Uh, summarise, please, what you've um, bagged so far this year. Yeah, I think since last time we spoke, there's been quite a bit of activity. Obviously, at the end of last year, we had a significant capital raising. We raised $8 million and a, a large portion of that money came from a cornerstone investment from Goldfields Limited. So Goldfields had been doing their homework on the company and the asset for quite a while um, and made a decision that they'd like to get involved. Uh, so they contributed um, around about half of the capital of that $8 million cap raising and they currently sit at just under 15% of the issued capital of Tesoro. Uh, and then off the back of that funding, we, we kicked off drilling again at uh, Tanera. We, we've been doing some extensional holes. Um, we're uh, probably due to announce some assay results on that very soon on some of those holes and we're continuing to uh, delineate new targets to the north of Tonera, which we're going to start drilling um, in the very near future as well. And we also completed an uh, updated mineral resource estimate. Uh, so the the global resource now is at Tonera, or the unconstrained resource is close to 1.7 million ounces, but uh, within an optimised uh, $1,800 an ounce optimised pit, we're sitting at about 1.3 million ounces. The grade's nudged up a bit as well. Uh, but importantly, a lot of that resource is now into an indicator classification. And then off the back of that uh, resource update, we had been working away um, on a scoping study. And we've also just recently announced that scoping study, with uh, which demonstrates some pretty attractive metrics around Tanera um, to build a standalone gold mine. Um, and I guess there's a few key takeaways from that that scoping study one is the all in sustaining costs is we're estimating to be a little over a thousand dollars us an ounce and that scoping study produces a, a modest mpv around 200 million us uh, pre-tax and um but it essentially pays back all the capex to build two and a half million ton per annum plant and it only mines approximately half of the that resource so uh, essentially every ounce that we add into um, Tanera and the broader project area from now on in is um, essentially the capex is being paid for that and uh, if we just have to apply that all in sustaining cost to it so um, we've been moving along on a number of fronts as, as you can see and um, you know our Zorro is stacking up to be be a, a, a really nice project and we're confident that it's going to be a mine there in the not too distant future. Um, Zeb, thank you. I, I kind of set you up for a long answer by asking what you've been up to over the last five five months. Um, but let, let's let's break it down a bit and let's let's kind of get into each of those components one by one. Um, first of all, goldfields. Uh, <clears throat> what were they? You know, what are they looking for? Uh, you know, when you have internal conversations with you, uh, do they see you as a kind of a st stalking horse for, for for doing exploration in? In Chile, um, you know, what 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 are their internal metrics and thresholds that they want, they need to see before they kind of invest in a company? 
Yeah, I think they. I think a number of things. One is they want to see a company that's got a uh, good set of exploration skills and um, skill sets, being able to execute and demonstrate the execution of of finding gold deposits, uh, as well as the the highly prospective ground package. You know, obviously we've proven that there's um, a significant gold system at our Zorro. Uh, we've got Tanera sitting at that 1.3 million ounces, but you know, obviously, through some of the the other uh, releases that we've made around uh, our mapping and district work, you know, we've demonstrated that this is a very large gold system. And you know, I think I've said it before, we're we're very optimistic, and that um, there's another Tanera or maybe two sitting on on the property. So, you know, Goldfields did a very detailed and long due diligence um, they spent a lot of time with all of their internal specialists looking at our technical data um, in the region more broadly uh, before they decided to get involved and I think for goldfields you know traditionally um, you know they, they don't necessarily go for mega sized deposits but I, I guess their sweet spots probably somewhere in the two to five million or two to six million ounce range for deposit size or, or project size um they're just up the road developing the solaris norte mine which has uh, got permitted um at the beginning of last year they've made a decision to build that so that's currently being constructed uh, it's only around 80 k's from us as the crow flies but um it's up in the andes um and you know i suppose they like to now, uh, they like El Zorro for the reasons that Tesoro likes El Zorro. It's located in, you know, if you want to build a gold mine, there's no better place on, in the world to build it. We've got power, we've got water. It's located next to the coast. We've got a workforce. Um, it's on crown land. It's got easy access. It's at low altitude. Uh, and it, as demonstrated by that scoping study we've just announced, it's um, a very straightforward open pit mining scenario with exceptional metallurgy so all those things all stack up to a project that they wanted to get involved in and i suppose on the corporate side um they probably see chile as a a country where um there's still a lot of opportunity to find deposits in that sweet spot that they like i guess um so they're becoming much more active in chile they've made some other investments in some other junior companies uh, one out of canada that's got ground near their Solaris Norte mine and us uh, more or less at the same time. So, you know, they're really making a concerted effort to, to get active in Chile, which is a, a good endorsement of the um, operating environment over there. Well, let's let's um, touch on that um, because uh, I've been looking at Chile a lot recently. Um, I'm actively looking at a new project there um, and there was all this kind of stuff about the uh, the the, the the, the, the lithium kind of Chile is going to nationalize its lithium which came out about three weeks ago and then we've just had um, some council elections uh, last weekend um, which which is a kind of a shift to the to the right um, do you want to just kind of give me your take on perhaps the lithium strategy how that impacts other minerals um, investor perception and and the the, the, the elections kind of kind of a, a, a macro view of Chile please from you yeah, I, I was actually in Chile when when the lithium news came out from from the president there, and um, I think it's important that people understand that um, some of the reporting in the English speaking press has been um, 
inaccurate, I guess. And the whole lithium conversation around nationalizing lithium is an idea from a politician. It's a long way from being legislated. It's a long way from even being presented to the parliament. And it's important for um, the listeners to understand about Chile's current government is that they don't have control of the Senate either. That is controlled by the um, the more conservative side of politics, if you like. And it'd be highly unlikely that a, that a proposal like this would get get through the Senate and actually be legislated. So, you know, I'd liken it to, you know, if you're an Australian, any of the Australian listeners, it'd be like the Prime Minister of Australia coming out and saying, I've got an idea to scrap Medicare and then nothing will happen because he's got no chance of that ever being approved. Um, so it's it's almost like that, um, and that's the way we viewed it. So, uh, you know, that's a... The, the whole idea is is a uh, an idea a political idea to to perhaps garner some um, support from from the electorate. I think another thing which hasn't been uh, reported in the West at all is that uh, lithium is a special case within Chile anyway. I mean, um, that's yeah, it, um, well, that's it, correct. Yeah. It was in in nineteen seventy nine. It was deemed of um, strategic military interest because of potential link to the nuclear industry, and. It, it, it's effectively been state-controlled since 1979, and to the point that there are only two concessions in Chile that have ever been granted by the. Um, it, it, it needs a special decree from the president of the republic. Um, yeah, to, to even take it into production, and then the, the Chilean government has like a first right of refusal to buy that that lithium carbonate and for it to be marketed through the government, and they've never taken up that 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 right on on any of the projects that are production and you know there's other things that go on in Chile that um, make it hard to believe that this would happen so it was probably 12 months ago Cadelco the government owned copper miner who've also got large tracts of some of the um, lithium brine concessions um, across the Maracunga the Salar Maracunga and the Atacama, um, Salar, and so on, where where these high lithium brines exist, we're actually going through a process. So the government was going through a process to divest Cadelco of the lithium assets. So they were trying to attract foreign investment to buy the lithium assets. And in the twelve months down the track, we have that president turning around with an idea in his head to to nationalise it. So you know, to, same same government, same president two completely opposing ideas within a 12-month period. So um, I think it's just part of the political rhetoric in, in Chile. It's got a long way before and if it did become legislated. Um, and obviously it's got no impact at all on, on the gold industry. And it's probably going to um, just be snuffed out in the parliament, I would say. You know, and, that, uh, that, and a similar type of thing happened with the proposed cop increase in copper tax on the on the large copper producers you know they started off talking about um over a certain level of production taxing copper producers at 40 percent on top of the already existing tax burden which would take the tax burden up to something like 60 or 70 percent or something the current legislation that's being debated in their parliament is an increase in tax over for producers only over a hundred thousand tons per annum of copper of an additional 4% of their tax burden. So that would still put 
that that would still put the tax burden considerably less than if the same mine was operating in Australia. But the world, or in Canada, but the English-speaking world's gone crazy about reporting these types of things, and it gets a bit frustrating for for you know uh, as a person operating a company trying to do business in Chile, when um, there's quite a lot of um, sensationalist reporting around some of these political ideas, um, you know, and they're being reported as though they're setting stone already. Well, the, and, and the, then it's also worth mentioning the elections last weekend. So on the, um, the Sunday, uh, uh, sorry, it was on, on the 7th, uh, th- so the, the elections, I think that was the Sunday. Um, <clears throat> and um, that was a kind of a, a really significant step to the right, wasn't it? The, the conservative uh well the the right wing republican party won 22 out of 50 seats on the council uh other right wing coalitions won another 11 seats and the the left wing coalition of which boric is the the president is uh uh kind of the leader of their their seat number fell from um fell to 17 so they've actually lost the right to veto anything so the the country has taken a it has the country has had a kind of a resounding vote for um conservative policies focused on economic liberalization and creation of jobs i mean it's it's crystal clear and foreign investment yeah and foreign investment yeah that's right and i think you know and that's a result of the damage that was done off the original constitutional committee which had some fairly outlandish ideas and probably got confused about what should be in a constitution and what might what should have probably been a legislated law or tried to be legislation and and the the public I think the general general consensus in Chile and the people that I talk to, everyone from our um, you know our managers in country through to our field assistants who are you know more of the um, regional um, from regional places like Copiapo and so on are, are all giving the similar message that it was farcical what was done um, in that first committee and and people don't trust them anymore. Hence this big shift to the right. Good. Well, um, thank you. I mean, it was a little digression to kind of the the, the, the macro uh, view of Chile, but let's get back to Tesoro. Um, your scoping study. I, I had a I had a look at it. Um, I was a bit surprised not to see any uh, post tax numbers. You know, you come up with a pre tax NPV and a pre tax IRR. Um, yeah, and can you look? We had a lot of internal discussion around that, and we thought it best to leave it out to keep it simple um, really because uh, we don't know what the ultimate tax rate will be for this project um, for a number of reasons the way we structure um, capital being contributed to the project um, through the capex period um, and how those funds are um, I guess repatriated or redistributed to shareholders from from any operating mine and that has a pretty major bearing on the ultimate tax rate um, but it's probably important for listeners to understand at the moment in Chile, there's no royalties and the only tax rate that, um, they need to probably consider when looking at our numbers would be, um, a corporate tax rate on profit, which is currently sitting at around 22%. Um, so outside of that, there's no other taxation considerations except for the capex that we go to recover is essentially tax-free. Um, so that's for X amount of time in the production schedule because that 
capital has to be recovered back to the parent company here in Australia and potentially distributed to our shareholders. So there's a few moving parts to all of that. And I think to include that in the actual scoping study documents would have created, I guess, some confusion and uncertainty around it. So rather rather than um, publish something that we were guessing at, we decided to just leave it as a pre-tax MVP. When I when I saw that and I looked at the um, so your capex is 132 million US and your MPV is 200 and 201 um, uh, uh, US MPV five um, I thought oh that's interesting pre-tax MPV five and conf- the mental process I had was well that's probably going to be somewhere close to um, the MPV uh, seven and a half or MPV eight at post-tax is probably going to be close to one-to-one in terms of the capex to the NPV. So I just, it does just kind of what I, what I had in my head. Yeah. And I suppose, uh, and I suppose the flip side of that is that it was done on the 1750 gold price as well. So, you know, um, it's always the way early in early stage studies and scoping studies where, you know, you're having numbers which are input such as the gold price and the discount rate, for example, um, that you know, different people use different numbers. I, I, in your introduction, you, you captured a concept which I quite like, which was that it pays back the capital, and it only uh, targets six hundred and forty thousand ounces or whatever it is, six hundred twenty thousand ounces of the. Potential, so that the in 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 some ways, what you're really saying is that the value of the project is in the 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 life beyond the planned eight years and the ounces beyond the first capture. Yeah. So currently in that yeah. So currently in that scoping study, it it produces or it only the production schedule only takes into account half of the the resource that we currently have. Um, and basically, what we wanted to do is demonstrate that. Even with that modest production schedule, so it produces, I think, on average, off the top of my head, it was 93,000 ounces per year for eight years, but it repays the capex in just over three years. Um, at 17.50 an ounce with that 5% discount rate, the MPB is roughly 200 million US. And, you know, the flip side of, um, I've had this conversation with a number of people about, you know, why did you use five and so on? Well, five's probably the benchmark for most companies publishing those things on the ASX. But we did use $17.50 an ounce. And if we add $50, for every $50 US, the gold price is above $17.50, it adds another $20 million US to the pre-tax MPV. So, you know, we're sitting $250, nearly $300 above the gold price that we use. So, you know. Um, it swings and roundabouts, I guess, at this early stage of studies. But the real rate, the one of the main driving um, reasons, I guess, that we wanted to get this information out in the market, we wanted to demonstrate that this project is real and it can produce gold. The production cost, the all-in sustaining cost, is down at around that $1,000 US an ounce and then every and it pays back the capex, and then every ounce that we add to this, or we add into a future production schedule, it doesn't have the capex burden on it. So as we continue to grow this project, 
then people can go away and use those metrics to start to um, critique the the project themselves. Why why didn't you wait until the end of this year when you're going to do your, your scoping study update? I mean, um, and what was the did you really feel you needed to get that out so soon? Um, rather, I mean, you couldn't you have just done kind of one scoping study rather than kind of giving an update? Yeah, it's a it's a flip side because some investors and particularly a lot of the institutional guys want to have that information and they they ask us constantly and we can't talk about it. So now we can talk about it and we're happy to talk about it. And one of the other main driving reasons is that. In Chile, it's a straightforward process, and I would argue that it's probably easier to get a mine permitted in Chile than it is in Western Australia, but it takes a long time. It's a very prescriptive process, and um, you just have to go through all the steps. And so we wanted to start that, and part of that is that you have to submit a uh, mine plan and a production schedule and a production target to the authorities. And the other thing that we are in the process of doing is because all the gold's going to be ultimately exported out of Chile and sold outside of Chile, um, the company can apply for an exporter status now and it needs to submit a business plan to the government. And what the exporter status allows us to do is to recover all of the sales tax or VAT tax that, that we pay on everything that we spend money on except for direct labour in Chile. So... Uh, the scoping studies allowed us to do that, um, as well as talk about, you know, the potential economics of the project. Okay. Um, thanks. That's helpful. Um, what's what in your quarterly um, report? You also talk about uh, doing a, an update to the scoping study in Q4 of this year. What's going to be new in that? What what, what when's the cutoff on? the new data that goes into that and what is that new data going to consist of? There's no hard and fast cutoff on that. So there's some additional drilling that is um, that we've been doing at Tenera. We started in January. Uh, so that'll get in there um, and we've got more holes planned. But what we would like to do is to have enough of the, I guess, indicated material and some further resource growth that's able to support a um, larger production schedule as in more ounces per year produced um so that means converting more material to indicated and the other so we'd like to sort of get up to around total production profile over eight years eight hundred thousand ounces essentially now something that we've been looking at and it needs a little bit more work from an engineering modeling perspective is um looking at and underground potential because the current scoping study is a fairly shallow pit. It basically mines the top 200 metres to the deposit. But beneath that pit and to the side of it as well is some beautiful, big, wide, high-grade zones that that pit doesn't mine. Um, and... We're having a good close look at remodeling those to even sort of push the grade up a bit more and, and stitch all that together a, a bit better. And obviously, as you could um, appreciate, there's a reasonable amount of work to go into including an underground portion to a future um, financial model. So that all that work's already commenced. Um, we're doing that. But essentially, we would hope that that 
that underground component will actually make will be the main material difference between what we've just released and then what we may release later in the year. And extensions to the south is that has that been um, something that you'd be able to do is kind of pull the pit further to the south? I think it, you've just uh, yeah. So something that we've something something that we've picked up and our exploration team have sort of done a lot of work on over the last probably twelve months is uh, there's a, a quite a large district scale fault which um, we've called the Dorado Fault um, that runs through the middle of Tenera and it goes. Uh, continues to the south and also goes all the way up to the north um, through the targets to the north, Kitsuni, and up into Cowderillas. Uh, that fault is always anomalous in gold, and it's not a single fault. It's actually a, a large fault zone that varies in width from, say, 10 metres to up to um, 100 metres wide, and it's got a very large alteration zone around it. Um, but what our team is uh, discovered is that fold is often mineralized. So traditionally at Tanera, most of the gold's hosted within the intrusive rocks. But where this fault goes through the host sediments, um, we often see some good zones of mineralization forming as well. And generally those zones aren't as wide as they'd be if they were in the intrusive rocks, but they're generally very high grade. So we've um, some of the drilling that we've just completed actually has been trying to locate that fault um, as it comes south. Um, we think that um, it continues for quite a distance south. So we've, we've been drilling some holes there. There's some shallow cover as we come down into the valley there. So um, have that to contend with. But we'll have some assays for those holes fairly soon, I would have thought. Good. So, so kind of um, looking forward to kind of the news flow through the course of the year, it'll be the the assays from the from the uh, holes that you've d drilled so far, and then ongoing exploration drilling. Will you be getting up to Kitsune and the other targets in the north um, during the course of this year? Yeah. So we've actually just moved the drill rig to Kitsune. So that's about to start. They haven't started drilling yet, but they're very close to drilling. It's pretty imminent. Um, so that'll well, got. 10 holes planned to be drilled up there. Uh, first six will definitely get drilled. Um, got a big area to test, like the gold footprint up at Kitsune is substantially larger than Tenera, and there's a lot of intrusive up there, and that Dorado fault goes straight through the middle of it all. Um, and you can see the alteration for quite a few hundred metres each side. So we're, uh, the, the team on side are very optimistic you're getting some good results out of there. Um, so we'll have those results, you know, in um, another month or two's time once that drilling's underway. Uh, drill results out of Tanera as well, obviously. Um, the, the Kitsune is a potential kind of Tanera lookalike. Um, yeah, that's right. The, it's got, you know, that's the model that we've been using for Kitsune. Although this new sedimentary hosted gold uh, has also um, got potential to be be up through Kitsune, especially where the, the Dorado fault goes through. But um, I think we, we previously announced surface sampling results from Kitsune, and you can see the gold footprint in, in those announcements. There's some maps in there, and the most recent presentation as well has got a uh, quite a good um, map in there showing, I guess, the gold perspective zone. Uh, but there's a lot of intrusive at surface there. It's generally always mineralised. There's some quite good numbers at surface. 
Uh, so the guys are, have planned some holes there. Um, there's been a bit of work to get up there uh, with earth moving and access tracks and so on, but um, they've managed to get all that in and we'll be starting to drill there hopefully by the weekend, the way things are going. Good. So um, th- that that's potentially... Uh, it, it could kind of fire up the, the the material exploration change because what I feel at Tanera is that there's you know the, it's it's kind of incremental exploration whereas whereas uh, at Kitsuni it's it, yeah I, I I guess I guess one of the things that we've always struggled with with um, the project is what's the scale going to be because we've never found we still haven't found the ends of Tanera. On the drilling footprint at Tanera, we can clearly see a pathway to um, a couple of million ounces and beyond um, in the the announcement on the resource update. We had an exploration target in there for Tanera as well that's been done, and that's based solely on the drilled footprint to date. It doesn't include any of the the big step-outs and extensions. Um, you know, we're optimistic that that deposit will be beyond two million ounces with more drilling, and and then what happens if Kitsuni all of a sudden you the first drill program has a few holes that are fifty metre near surface intercepts at two or three grams similar material that we see out of Tanera, then all of a sudden we we've got potentially another two million ounces plus potential deposit on our hands. So. Um, We've all always struggled for. We know we've got as a, the smaller scale. This will ever be will be what we announced in the scoping study. The biggest scale, I don't know yet. Well, that's a good position to be in. Do you feel that um, uh, Tesoro is trading at a discount to its Australian peers with projects in, in Australia? Do you feel that there's a kind of a lack of understanding of Chile and a and a, a, a kind of a, a jurisdiction risk that's being applied or discount? Yeah, I think so. I think one of the issues that we say is, and I've always said this, is that the Pacific Ocean creates a barrier for, um, for particularly the Australian investment community investing in projects in Chile. And I think a lot of the Chile gets thrown into the, the South American basket. And every way, and rather than Chile being looked at and assessed as a standalone country, it's like South America, you know, it's high risk. It's like Argentina, it's like... Um, Colombia or any other place in in in, um, in South America, but you know I, I keep banging on about it. Chile's got a is the world's biggest copper producer. It's got a long history of mining, permitting large mines, and um, attracting foreign investment to be able to finance those mines. And there's been recent investments by significant companies and recent projects that have just been permitted in Chile, which completely support that and underline the importance and the ease of doing business in the mining industry in Chile. So BHP have made a major investment expanding Escondida South 32 have just brought, uh, last year brought half of um, Cerro Casales. Anglo have just been permitted a major expansion for the underground at Teniente, and that is a huge 
that were, and that's that was controversial um, due to where it's at, and that's just been permitted, and they're going to proceed with that, and that's a six billion dollar investment. Solaris Norte has just been permitted by the government as well. So all these things continue to go on and continue to tick the boxes. But and in the meantime, in Australia, um, these projects are getting stuck in the quagmire of permitting. But apparently, it's better over here in Australia than it is in Chile. So you know, there's only so much you can say and do. And uh, and you know, these big companies aren't going there to. Um, because of the jurisdictional risk, they're going there because they can get things done and there's a long history and a long track record of um, of attracting foreign investment and, and building those projects. So, um, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a great, I think it's a great place to operate. It's very easy to get stuff done. We've got access to everything as well. We don't see the same su supply constraints still now that we do in and escalation in, in exploration costs and development costs that we see in Australia either. So, you know, it's a, it's a, a, a absolutely fantastic place to go and build a mine. And do you see that do you just just by plucking away, you'll reduce the discount to your peers? Um, um, you know, is it just a matter of time and education? Yeah, I, th I think so. And I think, you know, the... You know, we probably won't get... We potentially won't get full value... But we're starting to see a lot of interest out of North American investors as well, which have been doing business in South America for a long time, and they understand all of that. And I think once we see some of that money coming in um, to our register as well, uh, you know, we may see the the stock get revalued. Obviously, there's been a, a quite an uptick in in the share price recently. I'm um, saying. So Probably a bit more money coming back into the gold junior sector as well in the last month to six weeks, I guess, in, on the ASX. We're starting to see a few of the other gold companies um, get a bit of an uptick. So, um, you know, I think we were talking before we went live that there's this disconnect between a magnificent gold price and the actual money that's coming into um, gold companies. So, uh, where, you know, who knows what the market will do, but certainly the the sentiment looks a bit turning um you know a bit more in our favor well um and those headwinds may start to dissipate i think it, it the it, the headwinds may start to dissipate but if you can pull out some um uh mineralized core from um kitsune i think you might find yourself with a tailwind yeah well that's right and look we're in a, I, I always say to all of our shareholders and any potential new investors and people that we talk to, we're in a pretty envious position, really. We've got a 1.3 million ounce and growing deposit sitting in the middle of a, you know, well-mineralized gold belt. So we've got, you know, the base assets already there, but we've still got all the expiration potential and upside. So we, we've, you know, got this two-pronged approach, which we can run in parallel and, and continue to create value. Seth? Go get them. Thank you very much. Cheers, Marilyn.